Welcome to Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall. So John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, when Jesus, uh, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, that is John the Baptist, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, as the Jews count time, the sixth hour would be 12 noon. Okay, so it's 12 o'clock noon when Jesus and his disciples got to the well. Jesus sends his disciples into town. He said, y'all need to go into town and buy something to eat. Jesus wanted to get the disciples out of the way because he was about to have a meeting with this woman. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me to drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then did you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, 
I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. By the way, the very first person that Jesus ever told that he was the Messiah, just point blank told them that he was the Messiah and the Lord, was the woman at the well. He had not even made that statement to his disciples. Let's pray. Father, it's a beautiful day. It's good to be in your house. We have gathered together to sing songs of faith, to worship you and to honor you and to thank you for who you are and all that you do for us. And today we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your blessings. We thank you for the gift of eternal life that we have through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have opened your precious word and we have read this story, this true story, this real story, story of something that actually happened when you met a woman at the well who was searching for something to give her life meaning and purpose. What a beautiful story it is. What a compassionate way you dealt with a woman at the well. Open our hearts to the truth of these verses. Bless us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in these verses, the Lord Jesus and his disciples are walking from Jerusalem to Galilee. Now that's about a 60-mile journey. And in those days, they walked. Every now and then, you might ride a donkey somewhere, or you might have a wagon. But this is a 60-mile journey walking. Now, if somebody told me today, Brother Chris, you and Miss Ayers are going to have to walk 60 miles to get somewhere, I just wouldn't do it. Unless I just absolutely had to, I guess. But here are Jesus and the disciples. So when you go from Judea to Galilee, it's about a 60-mile journey. Now, usually... When the Jews traveled between Jerusalem and Galilee, they would go around the region of Samaria. Samaria lay between Judea, populated by Jews, Galilee, populated by Jews. Samaria lay in between Judea and Galilee. And so usually the Jews would, would go around Samaria. Very rarely would a Jew go right through Samaria, even though it was the shortest route right through Samaria if you were going from Judea to Galilee or Galilee to Judea. The Jews of that day usually did everything they could to avoid contact with the Samaritans because the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. Now that is an understatement. Now who are the Samaritans? Well, it goes back to Old Testament history. Back in the Old Testament history, after King Solomon, the reign of King Solomon, the nation of Israel divided, split between 10 tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. The tribes of the north were usually called Israel or Ephraim. The tribes of the south were called Judea, consisting of Judea and Benjamin. And so usually the south is called Judea, the north is called Israel. Well, in 787 BC, the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrian nation. And what the Assyrians did when they conquered a nation, they would depopulate the nation. In other words, they would take all the people out of the nation, most of them, and they would move people from other parts of their kingdom into that territory. Well, that's what they did. They moved 
You know, they took the Jews out of the northern kingdom, took them to one area, moved other people in from one area back into, uh, into the northern kingdom. That lessened any kind of possibility of rebellion against Assyria and that kind of thing. It was just what they did. Well, with the, with the people from the other parts of the area, other parts of the Assyrian Empire came into the northern kingdom. There were Jews who were still there. And the people from the other areas wanted to know, well, how do we worship the God of this land? They, they thought a God controlled, you know, different lands, different properties, different countries. And so the Jews tried to teach them that. And what you had was pagan religion getting mixed up with the Jewish religion. Now, the southern kingdom was carried into captivity sometime later by the Babylonians. They came back. But the Samaritans, the people who were left in the land that would become the Samaritans, had a corrupted religion. It was part Jewish and part pagan. And the Jews who returned, who were, were fully Jew in their religion, would have nothing to do with what they considered to be the half-breed Jews, known as the Samaritans. And so they would have nothing to do with each other. Now, they would, they, they would do business with each other. You know, the Jewish rabbi said, don't have anything to do with the Samaritan unless you need to buy something from them or sell something to them, you know. And so they, they would do commerce with them, but they would avoid them in any kind of social contact in any kind of way. And so if you were a Jew traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee, you wouldn't go straight through Samaria. You'd go around Samaria. Well, on this particular trip, Jesus told his disciples, we're not going to go up to Jericho and cross the Jordan River and go up on the east side of the Jordan River and cross back over into Galilee. We're going to go straight through Samaria. We're going to take the direct route from Jerusalem to Galilee through Samaria. Verse 3 says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. He had an appointment. The King James Version says that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. In other words, Jesus had an appointment. Jesus said, we have to go through Samaria. I need to go through Samaria. We don't need to go around it. I have a divine appointment. Now, why did Jesus tell his disciples, we're not going to take the usual route. We're going straight through uh, Samaria. One of the reasons was Jesus wanted to show that he did not hate the Samaritans like most Jews did. Jesus wanted to show that he loved the Samaritans. Jesus came to give his life for all people. And so he wanted to demonstrate that he, unlike the Jews who had this intense hatred for the inbred hatred for the Samaritans, Jesus was not like that. He wanted to show that he loved the Samaritans and that he came to give his, his life as a ransom and a sacrifice for all people, including the Samaritans. That's a good thing for us to remember. Jesus didn't come just to die for white Americans in South Georgia. Jesus came to die for all of the world. Somebody asked me one time, well, who's welcome at your church? And I told him in that particular church, I, I said, well, Here's who's welcome here, who I consider to be welcome in a church. Anybody for whom Jesus died is welcome to come through the doors of that church. Isn't that the truth? 
And Jesus died for all people. So Jesus wanted to go through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria at the outset of his ministry to demonstrate that he loved the Samaritans, that he did not come to do them harm. He did not have hatred in his heart. He's the savior of all people, Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, for all people. Another reason why Jesus needed to go through Samaria was because he had a divine appointment to keep. Jesus had a divine appointment to keep with a Samaritan woman at a well, beside a well, a common well that was used by all of the people in the town of Sychar, the Samaritan village of Sychar. Jesus said, I have a divine appointment to meet with this woman at this well at this time. So we have to go through Samaria. Now the Samaritan woman had no idea when she left home that morning that she had an appointment to meet Jesus, the Son of God, by the well on that particular day. Jesus knew he had an appointment with her. She had no idea that that day she had an appointment to meet Jesus. The woman, this woman had no idea that on this day she would be saved. She would meet Jesus and she would be saved. She would believe in Jesus. She had no idea when this day began that she would be the first Christian missionary. <laughs> that she would be the first one to go and tell somebody about Jesus. When she was saved, she left her bucket by the well. She went into town and she told the people, the Messiah has come. Come see this man who's told me everything I've ever done. She was the first Christian missionary. She was the catalyst that brought salvation, the Bible says, to many people in Samaria. In his omniscience, Jesus knew that this woman would be at that well on that day and at that hour. Jesus knew everything there was to know about this woman. He knew about her sin. He knew about her immoral lifestyle. He knew that she was an outcast in an outcast society. She was an outcast among outcasts. He knew that she had allowed herself to be used and abused. He knew that even at that moment, this woman was living in an adulterous relationship. But Jesus also knew that this woman was thirsty. Not just for water from a well. She was thirsty for love. She was thirsty for forgiveness. She was thirsty for something from or someone that would give her life meaning and purpose. She was thirsty to, to be free of her life of sin and shame. She was thirsty for a new life. She was thirsty for a life of value and of worth. Jesus knew this woman was thirsty for that which could satisfy her empty soul and her empty life. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can bring lasting satisfaction to the empty soul and the empty heart. Jesus needed to be at the well on that day at that hour to give this woman the living water of salvation. Now we live in the age of grace. We live in the age of the open invitation. 
Anyone who wants to be saved can be saved at any time and at any place. Anybody can be saved, whosoever will, who will repent and believe in Jesus can be saved. But I believe that there are divine appointments in the life of every person. I believe there are particular times when God in a very personal and powerful and special way will confront a person with their lost condition, their empty life, and their need of salvation. Anybody can be saved at any time, but I believe that there are times when God has a special appointment with every person. Today, you may be here by the providence of God for a divine appointment with God. God may have brought you to this service so that he can meet you today in a very powerful, in a particular and personal way. This may be at this time, at this place, your divine appointment with God. When God comes to you in a personal and powerful way to say that I love you, that I died for you, and I want you to be saved and I want you to believe. People can be saved anytime, anyplace, anywhere, but there are times when there are particular times when God will confront a person in a very personal way about their need of salvation. God may have brought you here today for a divine appointment with him. He did this because he loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to save you from your sin. He wants to give you a new heart. He wants to give you a new life. There's nothing you can hide from God. God knows everything there is to know about you. He knew everything there was to know about this woman. God knows everything there is to know about you and me. He knows all about your sin. He knows all about your faults. He knows all about your failures. But he still loves you. The one who knows you best is the one who loves you most. He still loves you in spite of all that is true of you. And he still wants to save you from the penalty of your sin. And so today, if this is a divine appointment with God for you, I would encourage you, do not turn him away. Now, these verses give us a clear picture of this woman's life before she met Jesus. We can surmise that at one time, this woman probably was physically attractive. It is very doubtful that a woman could be married five times without having some degree of physical beauty. She was at one time a liquor. But while she may have looked like an angel, this woman had the morals of an alley cat. You know, there are some people in this world who have no morals as far as biblical morals are concerned. Over the years, this woman had allowed herself to be used and abused by men. But she wasn't just a victim. She had been just as guilty of using men, going from husband to husband to husband to husband. And when she met Jesus at the well, she was at that time in an adulterous relationship with another man. She was a beautiful woman with the morals of an alley cat. The immoral lifestyles that so many people are living today are often glamorized and celebrated by our world. Often pictured as the ideal kind of life. This is the kind of life that you need to live. And unfortunately, that has a great influence on our young people. 
Sometimes our young people have role models of people who are living just adulterous and immoral lives. And those lives are glamorized as if that was something for which you should attain. I can tell you immoral lifestyles have been around for a long time, long since Sodom, or long before Sodom and Gomorrah. But here's what the Bible teaches. <laughs> and here's what people need to know. The Bible teaches this in a very simple way. You will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. And if a person chooses to ignore the moral laws of God, if they choose to live an immoral lifestyle, they will pay a price. A person will reap what they sow. There is a physical price to pay for sin. We don't know how old this woman was when she met Jesus at the well, but she was not a spring chicken anymore. It takes time in life to be married five times, okay? By the time she met Jesus, no doubt the physical beauty of this woman had begun to wilt and to melt away. And it wasn't just from the advance of her age. An immoral, hedonistic lifestyle will have eventual and inevitable consequence on a person's physical health and appearance. And all the silicone in the world can't cover it up. There was a physical price to pay for living in sin. There's also an emotional price to pay. As you read this story, it is obvious that this woman was bitter, dejected, disillusioned, rejected, frustrated, fearful, and sorrowful. When she was young and gullible and pretty, the devil had promised this woman the world if she would just live his way and follow his way. And she had done that. But Satan had paid his debt to her only in sorrow. Dr. R.G. Lee used to say, the devil offers high wages, but he always pays with counterfeit money. And this woman had found that out. Proverbs 20:17 says that immoral living may be sweet to a man or a woman, but afterwards their mouth shall be filled with gravel. We should never envy someone who is living in sin, open sin and immorality, because their payday is coming. Sin has its thrills. Sin has its temporary pleasures. But the joy of sin is never lasting, and immoral living will sear the soul. It affects the physical part of a person, the physical reality of a the person. There's a physical price to pay for sin and there's an emotional price to pay for sin. There's also a relational price to pay for sin. You see, in, in that day, it was a woman's job to go to the well to draw water. That's what women did. They would go to the well, the common well for the village, and they would draw water for the needs of the day, to cook with, to wash with, and that kind of thing. They would have their water jugs, and they would go and draw water. They would do that early in the morning, and they would do that late in the evening. And it was a social time. The women were not, would not go to the well 
to draw water by themselves. They would gather together in the town square and, and they would talk. And it was a social event. They would talk about, you know, the kids and the husband. And they would talk about this, that, and the other. And they'd all gather up their water pots and they would go as a group early in the morning, draw their water, come back. And they would talk and enjoy one another and have fellowship with one another. Once they got back to town, they would disperse to their homes. They would do that in the morning. Then they would do that in the evening to draw water. It was a social event. But this woman came to the well at noontime all by herself. There were no other women there. Why? Because none of the women of the town wanted, have it, wanted to have anything to do with this woman. She was an outcast. They saw her as a threat to their families, to their marriages, and to their homes. She had been married five times, and she was shacking up with somebody at that moment. That's a South, South Georgia way of saying she was living with someone. Those who live immoral lifestyles will eventually find themselves all alone. Without any real friends, without any true friends, surrounded only by people who want to use them and often abandoned by their loved ones. You see, sin seems so exciting, so glamorous. It's presented in society as this is the thing you ought to do. This is how you ought to live. Don't listen to those old fuddy-duddy Baptists and their biblical morality. That's old-fashioned. That's old school. That time has passed. Let's live this way. The new way, which is not a new way. It's an old way. Let's live this way. See how glamorous this is. See how wonderful this is. Your life will be so fulfilled if you live this way. But I can tell you this. There is a law. And the law is this. If you disobey the moral laws of God, you will pay a price. You will reap what you sow. And this woman, bless her heart, had lived in immorality and she was paying a price. Physical price, an emotional price, a relational price. But also she was paying a spiritual price. The longer a person lives in sin and immorality, the heavier and the harder the chains of spiritual bondage become. Jesus said in John 8, 34 this, everyone who sins, everyone who lives a sinful lifestyle is a slave to sin. In other words, everyone who lives this way can't change it. They're stuck. They're in bondage. No doubt there were times when this woman wanted to do better. There were times when this woman wanted to be better. There were times when this woman wanted to be free of this kind of life. There were times when she wanted to be looked on and respected. There were times when she wanted to break loose from the bondage of her sin and her immoral lifestyle, but she did not have the power to do it. She was a prisoner to the life that she was living. There are times when people want to be different and try to change and out of their own self-effort, self-reformation, they'll try to change. And maybe they can change a little bit here and there for a little while. But there's no way they can change themselves. They don't have the power to do it. 
If you're living a sinful, immoral lifestyle, you are stuck. And there's nothing you can do about it. But there is one who can set you free. This woman got her jug that morning, made her way out to the, to, to the well. Out there sitting by the well was this one lone man. Now he was dressed as a Jew. You know, Jews and Samaritans, they kind of dressed differently. Now in that day, in that society, Jews and, and Samaritans didn't converse with one another unless they absolutely had to. There's no occasion for a conversation to be carried on. Usually Jews would turn their backs to Samaritans. And also a woman would never speak to a man or a man would never speak to a woman by themselves in this situation. So there was every reason for this woman to come, get her water and go on back to Sychar without ever saying a word to Jesus or Jesus saying a word to her. You know, God gives us the gift of imagination. I can see Jesus sitting there. Here comes this woman. Smile comes on his face. He knows her. He knows everything there is to know about her. He knows what kind of life she's lived and what kind of life she's living. He can see into her heart. He knows that she's hurting, that she's empty, that she's wondering if life is worth living. She has been beat up by sin. She is in bondage. She is sad. She is heartbroken. And she wants to be free. And Jesus then says, will you give me something to drink? I'm sure the Samaritan woman was definitely surprised that this Jew, probably a rabbi from his dress, is speaking to her. She said, wait a minute, you talking to me? <laughs> You're talking to me? Jews and Samaritans, she wanted to remind him of the social decorum. Jews and Samaritans didn't have conversations, especially a man and a woman, especially isolated like they were by the well. Jesus said, yeah, I'm speaking to you. I see you. I know you. I know who you are. I know what's going on with you. And he said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask him for water. Now, he wasn't talking about physical water. He was talking about water that would satisfy the thirst of her life. Spiritual, life-giving water that would change her life and change her soul and change her eternal life, her earthly life, and give her eternal life. And so Jesus and this woman has this conversation. Jesus reveals, she tries to change the subject to get in a theological debate with Jesus. When he, re he reveals to her that he knows that she's been married five times and she's shacking up with a guy, she tries to say, change the subject. You know, she said, well, y'all you know, worship different from us. So Jesus, you know, answered her question, dealt with that particular thing. By the way, what Jesus said about worship is very important. We'll look at that next week. And then he says, I want you to go call your husband. 
tell him to come here. See, so I don't have no husband. Can't you see? <laughs> I have no husband. He said, yeah, that's right. You've had five of them, honey. And you're shacking up with a guy right now. She couldn't believe it. And then Jesus very lovingly, very kindly, very compassionately. See, Jesus is her judge, but first he's her savior. <laughs> yes, Jesus is her judge. Absolutely. He can judge her for her sin. But before he's her judge, he's her savior. And he delicately deals with her with respect and love and kindness. And then he reveals to her who he is. And he says, if you will believe in me, I will give you water that will satisfy the deepest longing of your life. You will find fulfillment and a purpose for living if you will believe in me. And she said, well, you know, when the Messiah comes, we know that he's going to reveal all of this to us. And then Jesus looks at her. Jesus looks at her. He hasn't said this to James or to John or any of the other disciples. He looks at this woman and he says, I am whom you are speaking about. At that moment, she believed in Jesus. She believed in who he was. She accepted who he was. And something in her changed. Her mind changed. Her heart changed. Her desires changed. And she found a new purpose. And she found a new power to live a different kind of life. And that purpose and that power came from God's grace and mercy as he saved her soul when she believed in Jesus. I can tell anybody, you can't change yourself. As a leopard cannot change its spots, as the Ethiopian cannot change the color of his skin, neither can you change who you are. But there's one who can change you, and he will change you, and he will set you free, and he will give you a new heart, and he will make you a new person, and he will give you eternal life, and he will give you value and purpose, and his name is Jesus. And the one who saved that woman on that day is the one who will save you today. If you will believe in him, and he will set you free and give you the power to live a different kind of life. The message that Jesus gave the adulterous woman who was thrown before him is the same message that he gave the Samaritan woman. It is the message that he gives to any man or woman who are involved in a immoral lifestyle. Go and sin no more. Believe in me. Go and sin no more. The person who truly believes in Jesus will have the desire and they will have the power to leave their immoral living and follow Christ. It is God who gives us the power to have victory over sin in our life. In John chapter 3, we met Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious moral Pharisee. He was, he was of the religious upper crust. He was the most religious 
of the religious. In John chapter 4, we meet a Samaritan woman and a moral Samaritan woman. Both Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman were both lost. You tell me who was more lost. They both were. You see, there are some people who are guilty of sins of the spirit. And sometimes they will sit in judgment over those who are guilty of sins of the flesh. But the reality is the religious but lost is just as lost as the immoral and lost. Jesus came to save them all. Today may be your divine appointment to find Jesus. Not at a well, but in a church. He may have brought you here for this moment, this time, so that you might believe and be saved so that your life may be different. I pray that you'll give your life to Christ today. You say, well, I can't change. You're right. You can't. You don't have the power to change. But God will change you. I don't know how many people I've invited to come to Christ and they say, well, I don't think I can change. And I'll tell them, no, you can't change. It's not in your power to change who you are, but God will change you. That's what being called born again is and being called a new creation is. He gives you a new heart, a new mind, a new power, new desires. He will change you. It is God who changes. And he changes those who trust in Christ. Thank you for joining us for our program today. Truth For Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall is a presentation of Hall Sports Communications. To contact us, you can send an email to chrishall71 at hotmail.com. That's chrishall71 at hotmail.com. Be sure to join us for our next program. Until then, stay safe and may God bless you.